Oh, good morning. Um, Sophia Cavaletti, she's a, she's a researcher who has uh, pioneered the study of spirituality in young children. And uh, she finds that children have this amazing perception that, that far surpasses what they've been taught. And uh, she talks about one three-year-old who was raised in a, uh, an atheistic family with no church contact at all, no Bible in the home. And she asked her father, where did the world come from? And so he answered her in strictly uh, naturalistic, scientific terms. And he added, he added this, he said, there are some people who, who say that all this comes from a very powerful being, and they call him God. And at this, the little girl started dancing around the room with joy as she said, I knew what you told me wasn't true. It's him. It's him. And similarly, author Anne Lamott was raised by her dad to be a devout atheist. All the children in her family had to agree to a contract to that effect when they were two to three years old. But she started backsliding into faith at an early age. And she said that even when I was a child, I knew that when I said hello, someone heard. And uh, yeah, the title of this sermon is, is Come Like a Child. Come Like a Child. And we're going to look this morning at uh, two events in uh, Mark chapter 10. Uh, we'll start in Mark 10, 13. Uh, these, two, these two interactions with Jesus, these two events that, uh, you know, the first is, is about children, children coming to Jesus. The second was about this, uh, this rich guy who wanted to, uh, to follow Jesus. And uh, the, the two stories belong together. You know, the first story really uh, sets the stage for, for the second and uh, you know what? What I want to see in this this passage is that that we we need to come to Jesus like children, with empty hands, and knowing that it's only possible for us to do so with with God. So, as we continue going through the Gospel of Mark, uh, let's let's look in our Bibles and read from Mark ten thirteen through sixteen. Okay, the, the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, so it's, it's before Luke. Um, could somebody help her? Okay. So it's, it's Mark 10.13. Mm-hmm. Okay, so starting with verse 13. And, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them. Laying his, laying his hands on them. Uh, let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, I, I pray that uh, you soften our hearts today. Give us uh, hearts to, to receive what you have to say to us. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that each of us would, would have a heart to, to want to come to you.
in simplicity and in faith, trusting in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Jesus, Jesus has a heart for children. We can see that very clearly demonstrated in this, uh, this passage. You know, he, he loves them. He, he embraces them. You know, he, he blesses them. And, and it said they were, they were bringing children so that Jesus might touch them. Who were they? Probably the children's parents would, would be a, a good, a good uh, deduction. But they, uh, they'd heard of this, this rabbi named Jesus, and uh, they'd heard about some of the things that he had said. They had maybe heard reports or even seen themselves some of the things that he has done. And uh, they just, they, they want to bring the children and get Jesus' blessing on them. And uh, you know, these poor disciples are always getting in trouble. Uh, like yeah, and me, me too. Yeah, you have to feel for them. They're, they're <laughs> you know, they're, they're thinking they're doing the right thing. And, and Jesus says, oh, come on, guys. Uh, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're reprimanded. It says that Jesus was, was indignant. I mean, they irritated him, actually, with this. You know, they were trying to stop people from be, They were trying to stop these people from bringing their, their children to Jesus. Uh, you know, they, they should have uh, been accommodating them. They, sh- they should have been accommodating and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of sobering when we think that uh, any of us would, would hinder somebody from coming to Jesus. That's what they're doing, though. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they felt that Jesus had more important things to do. Maybe they felt that the, the children were just not important, you know, that the, the adults were more important, uh, maybe they felt. You know, maybe they were operating... Under the, uh, yeah. okay. maybe they were operating under the uh, the mistaken notion that, that children were were incapable of understanding, or you know maybe maybe they just thought that um, these people were wasting Jesus's time. And uh, yeah, I think I think I've told some of you this story when I was. Uh, Going to seminary at Dallas Seminary, my my very first preaching class, the uh, the first day, you know how teachers will will have the each student introduce themselves. So, Doctor Warren said, uh, "Yeah, I want you to introduce yourself, where you're from, all this kind of stuff." But you know, the main thing I want to know is how old were you when you when you received Jesus as your Savior? And uh, what was what was really interesting was uh, out of a class of twelve, ten of us had had come to the Lord. We'd received Jesus before the age of of eight, and he says, "You know what, gentlemen? This is this happens every time. I always ask this question, and the results are always the same." And he said, "That's that's the importance of ministering to children, teaching children." And uh, by the way, I was I was saved when I was six years old. Six years old at, at uh, Vacation Bible School. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the school called? This was Dallas Seminary. This is where I went to uh, Bible school. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'd like to. 
really take the opportunity to to honor those who are are working with children. We have you know a lot of a lot of people doing that, you know, mainly mainly your own children, you know, making sure that you're you're raising godly young women, women and and men. Uh, those who uh, work with the children in the church, you know, good for you. There, we, we should we should never consider children to be uh, less important. Never consider them to be second class. And uh, grandparents also. I know there's there's a lot of grandparents working with with children. You know, we sh- we should just never prevent children from coming to Jesus. We should encourage children. People of all ages need to come to him, right? Anyway, you know, coming, having come to Jesus at, at a young age, you know, sometimes when I was younger, like a, a teenager or a young adult, and uh, we'd be in a group and, you know, we we're asked to give our, our testimony. You know, some people had real spectacular sins that they had committed, and, you know, the Lord just rescued them from the 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 pits of hell, you know, so to speak. And me, well, I was six years old and I, I received the Lord. And I felt, somehow felt inferior. And, uh, you know, it didn't, didn't occur to me that the, the creator of the universe, the all-wise, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, I'm, you know, God, the, the creator, the, the sustainer of the universe would take a personal interest in me and... and save me, you know, to give me a personal invitation. And, uh, uh, you know, several years ago, um, I was, I was asked to give my testimony in a church where I was doing my, my internship. And I, I talked about this and, uh, there was this one woman who was sitting in the back and she just started bawling. And I'm, well, what did I say? You know, but uh, afterwards she says, you know, I, I wish I had come to the Lord at, at a young age. That would have saved me from so much uh, sin and and bad stuff that has happened in in my life. You know. So Jesus says we need to encourage children to come to Him, encourage them, not keep them from Him. And He uh, He kind of turns a corner now, and He says, you know, in fact. Everybody needs to come to to me like a child. Like a child. You know, he's he's saying that um, we all need to be like children. He's saying this metaphorically. You know, we need to come to him in, in simplicity. We need to come to him in trust. We need to come to him based on what he's done rather than... Uh, our, our status, you know, a, a child in a family doesn't say, you know, I've earned a right to be a member of this family. I've worked hard. I deserve that bed that I sleep in. I deserve these uh, these meals, and I definitely deserve the car that I'm going to get when I'm 16. You know, Mom and Dad, you want me to be happy, right? Uh, you owe me that. You know, a child might try to talk like that, but I don't think it's going to get very far with, with the parents. You know, we, we, we'd say this is being childish. He wants us to be childlike, not childish. And so, uh, you know, a child except in some uh, pathological cases doesn't think this way. He, he trusts mom and dad. 
uh, you know, mom and dad supply this, this warm house and food. They, they love unconditionally. You know, a, a child does not bargain for a place in the family. You know, she knows this is, this is her family. She doesn't say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I want this. You know, she just takes, she partakes. She comes to the meals. She absorbs the, the care and, and the love. You know, she can eat and sleep and, in a warm, dry place because of what her parents have provided for her. And so in the same way, you know, we need to come to Jesus based on what he has done, not, not on our status, not on our uh, intellect or, or you know, our, our resources, our financial resources, based on what, what he has done. Titus 3, 4 to 7 says that when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, we, we, do, we do not earn the, uh, the right to be called the children of God, right? First John, First John, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. You know, it's because of, of his great love, his great love poured out on us that we can become his, his children. And, you know, what else can we say about coming to Jesus as, as children, like children? You know, children don't have great status. Uh, children have not earned any kind of credentials. They haven't really done anything to make them feel like they have any merit that makes them deserving of, of heaven, nor do we. And so with, with this in mind, this, this coming as a child, receiving him as a child, we go into the next uh, part of the narrative where Jesus deals with a, a rich person. You know, we need to we need to come to him empty-handed. Why? Because we really don't have anything to bargain with. You know, we don't have anything to to bring to the table to convince God that he he should save us. You know, our, our status, our, our strength, uh, our, our cleverness, these, these won't bring us to God. You know, that's, that's, why we, that's why he said we need to come as children. You know, they're, they're weak and helpless, and they, they haven't really achieved any kind of uh, standing. Uh, we, we see an illustration of this uh, in, in, the, in the text, continuing in verse 17. Read with me. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, 
you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So, you know, this this guy who comes to Jesus, he wants to follow him. And, uh, you know, this guy was this guy was raised in the faith. He was raised in a in a house where uh, the law of, of the Lord was was taught. You know, it says he came running to Jesus and, and knelt before him. What what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Uh, I I would love if people came to me and asked me that. You know, what What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. And, you know, it's really interesting how Jesus responds here. He, rather than giving him a direct answer, what does he say? He says, why do you, he asks him a question, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And, um, and why does Jesus say this? He, Jesus doesn't even uh, wait for an answer. He He continues on. And he proceeded to quote some of the Ten Commandments, you know, not all of them, by the way. Some of them. Do not murder. Do not, do not steal. Don't commit adultery. You know, honor your parents. And uh, it kind of seems like the guy in, interrupts him. He says, I've done all these things since I was a child. I've been good. And, uh, you know, I've, I've heard people give testimonies like this, by the way. You know, tell, I'll ask, you know, tell me how you came to the Lord. I say, well, I was, you know, I was raised in a, Christian family, and I went to church, and I've been good. I've been real good, you know. And they're not really answering the question, you know. Tell me about your relationship with with the Lord Jesus. How did you come to him? And that seems to be kind of the testimony that this guy has. You know, essentially, I was brought up in the church, and I've been good all my life. I've followed these commandments. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, this, this guy seems like a pretty good guy, doesn't he? He seems like the kind of guy we want around. He seems like the kind of guy that, that we would want to welcome into our, our church. You know, he seems like a very upright, moral man of, uh, of faith. And, uh, you know, this, this guy, you, you'd think, well, he, he'd be good to have on our team. You know, he has the right background. He says the right things. But Jesus sends him away dejected and uh, you know many many of the stories of Jesus's dealings with with people in the gospels take surprising twists and this is this is one of them you know it, it forces us to really dig down and, and think about what's going on here and uh, one, th- one thing we we need to notice here is when Jesus uh, started naming these commandments he didn't say all of them which ones did he leave out like the first one and the last one, the you know the ones that really uh, form the the basis of following God. The first is you shall, you know, have no other gods before me. The last one is you shall not not covet. You know these these other ones are things that are that are more visible. In a way, these are these are the things that are that are easy to follow. Of course, we've broken them all. The, the, the first and the last, last you know, are, are the easiest to conceal. You know, you can be very outwardly religious, 
and fool people. And you can fool yourself in, in, as well, but you can't fool God. Well, this guy's feeling pretty good about himself, I think. Out, very outwardly religious, got a religious background. But, uh, you know, Jesus sees something different in this guy. He sees something that I think that most of us would, would miss. This guy's heart is in the wrong place. You know, Jesus knows our, our hearts. And Jesus, so, so Jesus demonstrates this by saying, well, good, you know, good. You've, you've kept these commandments, but you're lacking one thing. He says, go and uh, sell everything that you own and give to the poor and come and follow me. You know, the lesson that, that Jesus had for this guy has, has something to do with goodness. And, you know, he, he kind of, I think, is demonstrating a, a false notion of goodness. This guy is very good in his own eyes, very, very self-righteous. And, uh, you know, if we were to ask him, he'd probably be like that, that childish person who felt that he had himself earned eternal life by his good works, by what he had done. So, you know, why did he ask Jesus what he needed to do? You know, I think he'd already made up his own mind that, that he was entitled. Uh, I think he just wanted Jesus' validation. And uh, Jesus puts him to the test. Uh, this man had wealth. And apparently... You know, as Jesus sees this guy's heart, he knows that this this guy has has set up his wealth as as his idol, as his god. And uh, it says he was he was sad. You know, his, his heart was on his wealth. He he wasn't able to come to Jesus as a child. You know, he he had a wrong notion of of goodness. You know, maybe maybe this is why Jesus questioned him. Why do you why do you call me good? You know that this man had kept the uh, the external commandments and felt that he was good. You know he felt maybe that his goodness was was sufficient. You know he, in fact, he I think he felt comfortable enough in his own goodness. He decided not to follow Jesus at all. You see, Jesus was right. Only only God is good. And I think this this was totally the meaning of this was totally lost on on this guy. You know, it was it was appropriate for him to call Jesus good because Jesus is God. He's God incarnate. And it's Jesus's goodness that this man really needed. And uh you know, you see the compassion that, that Jesus has. Jesus is not being uh, well, brusque with this guy. It says that, that Jesus loved him. You know, he did not reject this guy. He did not tell this guy, you, you, you know, the, the offer's invalid. You know, this, this man had an idol. He had set up his, his wealth as his God. He didn't want to follow the the truly good God his you know it, it wasn't worth it to him it wasn't worth it to him I think uh, this is maybe the only time in the New Testament where someone comes to Jesus and, and leaves 
sad and dejected. You know, we ourselves can be prideful in our self-righteousness, and we we need to ask ourselves with with, uh, genuine humility and honesty, you know, how well do we keep the commandments? You know, this this man I'm sure felt like he was he was squeaky clean, but he wasn't. You know, Jesus makes it clear in the Sermon on the Mount that God cares about what's in our heart. You know, he, Jesus, remember, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he he said, you know, you essentially you may think that you're keeping the commandments well, but you're not. You know, if you if you say I have not murdered anybody, therefore I have not committed murder. Uh, Jesus says, "Well, if you if you hate your brother, you're you're guilty of murder in your heart. You've broken that commandment. If you if you look at a woman with with lust, you may feel you've not committed adultery, but in your heart you have. You know what what he cares about is is what's on what's on the inside. That's what he sees." You know, it's what in our it's what's in our heart, it's what's in our, our innermost being, our core. You know, Jesus elsewhere had said, The greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as as yourself. So why didn't the guy why didn't Jesus tell this to this guy when he asked him? You know? Wouldn't have made the point. You know, wouldn't have wouldn't have demonstrated this guy's self righteousness, his his self sufficiency. You know, what he really needed to do was come to Jesus with empty hands, totally trusting him, not trusting in his own merits, not trusting in his wealth, but but coming in simplicity and trust. You know, this this picture of empty hands. Really, there's there's a couple elements to it. First of all. When when we come to the Lord, we we don't say, "Here, Lord, I, I've got this stuff to to barter and, and trade my way into heaven." No, we have empty hands so that we can receive. But the second part is, you know, how tightly are we holding on to things? You know, if our if our hands are full of the things that are that are keeping us from God, we're we're gonna be unable to to have empty hands to, to receive from him. Well it always it all boils down to, to point number three, main point number three, that uh, it's only possible with God for us to come to him. You know, Jesus takes an opportunity to, to instruct his disciples, uh, continuing in verse twenty three Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and, and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house 
or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first There's, there's nothing wrong with uh, having wealth. There's nothing wrong with, with being successful. You know, God, God blesses people with abundance for a reason. Why is that? So that those who are blessed can in turn pass on that blessing to, to others. You know, bless, blessing others with, with what God has, has given them. That wasn't really the point here. Jesus knew this guy would would never be able to let go of, of what he had. He would never let go of, of his uh, security, which was, was his wealth, his God, his, his money. You know, Jesus is able to look at each of our hearts and, and put his finger on the, the thing, you know, which is our issue, our individual issue, you know, for, for another person, it might be something other than riches. It might be something like social status. It might be something like uh, educational attainment. It might be something like, uh, I don't know, you fill in the blank, fill in the blank. There, there are many, many things, but, you know, Jesus can go to the very core, the very heart of a person and label that one big issue. Um, I was talking with with a man who had uh, cancer, and he was uh, undergoing treatment. It was um, really actually a series of treatment where the oncologist was able to uh, to use radiation with, with pinpoint accuracy to target the cancer. And uh, you know, I, I thought well, that's a good picture of what what Jesus can do. You know pinpointing just what it is, what is that issue which is hindering us from being able to come to him? You know, what what is it in, in each of our lives? What is it in my life and your life that are that are hindering us, even those of us who have already come to him? You know, how's your walk? How's your daily walk with the Lord? What's hindering you? Jesus knows our weaknesses he, he knows the kind of issues that uh, cause us uh, difficulty. He knows. In fact, he says right here how hard it is for people of wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why did he say that? You know, he, he said that uh, it's, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And uh, I've, I've heard some sermons on this where um, really the, the simple meaning is not really being addressed. Um, I've heard some people, some preachers say something about, well, there's a, there's a certain gate in Jerusalem and it's called the, uh, the camel gate. It's called the eye of the needle and about how a camel can get through the gate, but, you know, the camel has to get down on its knees. It has to be unloaded and, you know, with a lot of difficulty, it can get through this. Um, the thing is, I guess I guess that preaches, but it, but it's not true. There there is in fact a camel gate in Jerusalem, but it wasn't built until the Middle Ages. 
Another explanation I've heard is uh, in a few manuscripts, which sounds uh, the the scribes have used the word rope, which sounds very similar in, in Greek to, to, to camel. And, and I've heard sermons where pastors say, well, it's like trying to put rope through the eye of a needle. Well, how about we just uh, go with the, the plain and simple meeting, meaning here? You know, it's, it's pretty outrageous what he said. You know, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, it's impossible. That's what he's saying. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous, utterly ridiculous to think that a camel can get through the eye of a needle. And that's what he's pointing out is it's an impossible without God for us to overcome those things which are hindering us. The disciples saw what the implication was. It said they were astonished when he said this. And they asked him, well, who, who then can be saved? They, 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 Jesus, why, why would you say this? Nobody can be saved. You know, they, with this question, they hit the nail right on the, the head. You know, but Jesus said what's impossible for man and this is impossible. What's impossible for man is possible with God. You know, a rich man can be saved, but only by grace through faith in Jesus. The same way we all can be saved. The only way we all can be saved by his grace. You know, that's 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 a, a basic point in, in the gospel truth. You know, Paul says in Romans three ten to eighteen, and he and he's quoting Isaiah here. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. None righteous, he says. It's impossible for any of us on our own to come to God, to receive the kingdom. But there is one, Jesus, who is righteous, and it's through him, through faith in him, we can come to God. Anyway, you got to love Peter here. He's probably thinking, ooh, good, I'm glad I'm not rich, you know. And he said, you know, Jesus, we've, we've left everything to follow you. And, uh, you know, probably the first thing that, he, that, that came to his mind, you know. And, you know, he, I don't think he was bragging here, you know, because of the way Jesus answers him in a very gentle way. You know, Jesus essentially says, I acknowledge that you're going to be rewarded. So, you know, there, there are many in this room who've, who've given up something. You know, may, maybe you've given up a lot to follow Jesus, to do his will. And, and God sees and he knows. And uh, 
Jesus said that will be rewarded. He, Jesus calls this laying up treasures in heaven. You know, it's, it's having an eternal perspective. So how do we come to Jesus? How do we receive the, the kingdom of God? You know, receiving, the, receiving the kingdom means receiving the king. You know, it's coming to Jesus, receiving, not bargaining, not bartering, not exchanging, not cajoling. It's just coming to him with empty hands. I have nothing, Lord, to give except these hands, which I'll receive you, with which I'll receive you. So, what's keeping you from following Jesus? Even though, like I said, even those who, who are saved, what's, what's keeping you from walking closely with him? You know, lay it at his feet, empty those hands, believe in him. You know, Jesus, Jesus says, what, is it, what does it gain a person if he gains the whole world but, but loses his soul? You know, that's a, that's a good question for, for all of us to ponder. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we, uh, we thank you that we can come to you. Lord, that you have seen fit to uh, want us to come to you. Lord, that you would draw us to you, Lord. And I, I pray, Lord, that uh, each person here would, would have a heart to, to respond, Lord, to receive you to to receive the relationship that you have that you desire for us we thank you lord that father that that you have that you loved us so much that you gave your son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life Lord, we're so unworthy. We thank you for the the great gift you've, you've, you've given. In Jesus' name, amen.